I want you to find your place this morning, if you would, in the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. I want us to talk about for a little while this morning and look into the Scripture on the subject of natural reactions. All of us have them in the physical sense. Uh, Not too long ago, I was with a group of people and there was a large bang. There were some young people involved in it. Yeah, some young, young people, teenagers out of the city, and when this thing clapped, it sounded, it sounded like a gunshot. And when it sounded, every one of the young people ducked. Nobody had to tell them to, that's just what they did. Because it has become a natural reaction. I was doing something at the house several weeks ago, had something that I pulled out of the oven, and the first time I pulled it out, I pulled it out well. I did it with a potholder, and I set it on top of the stove. And it wasn't but a couple minutes later, I thought, I need to move that. And I reached over, forgetting that it had just come out of the stove, and I grabbed it in my hand. And Sonia said to me, that's hot. And I thought, hmm, maybe it is. I should probably move my hand. Now, if you think that conversation happened, you've got a different thought coming. Immediately, I took my hand off the pan. Nobody had to tell me. And I naturally broke into the pastoral dance. Because my fingers told me. But the natural reaction was to pull back. Years ago, I had a friend who, you could goose him, you know what I mean, hit him in the rib. And he had a self-defense mechanism. And you could, I would sneak up behind him and I'd get him in the rib and every time he'd ball his fist up and turn around. And I did that until the time that he was faster than I was. And when he got faster than I was, I quit doing it. What was it? It was a natural reaction. It was an unconditioned response. I want to take that thought, and I want us to move into the book of Job in just a moment. And I want to to give you some questions today. What is your first spiritual response? Now, have you ever felt as if... God is ignoring you. You come to the place that you are bewildered. And you are emotionally and spiritually and relationally. You feel like you've reached a place in your life that you're just numb to the things. You're wondering where you are in life and how in the world I got here. There may be somebody in this room this morning... It may not have been a thing that you've been there before. You may be there now. And I will tell you that life's biggest mistakes are often made in those moments when we feel ignored, when we feel bewildered, when we feel numb to the things of life, and we wonder how we got here. What if you were in that situation? What is your spiritual response? The first spiritual response The wrong spiritual response is this. God, why? Now, I didn't say it was wrong to ask God why, but that's the wrong first response. 
And I want us to look at Job, a man who felt as if God did not hear. A man who, as we read through the passage of Scripture, we're going to see what a horrible day he had had. But I want us to notice his response. If you would and can, able to do so this morning, let's stand together. Job chapter 1, reading the Scripture together. Let's know a little bit about this man first of all. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. What characteristics we see of him. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, and his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, so you can at least double that, and 500 she-asses and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Verse number 5, And it was so, when the days of the feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, his children, from verse number 4, and he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... Job continued to go before the Lord for his children. Verse number 6, Now there was, in, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? That's God speaking. What's your testimony before God this morning? If God were speaking to Satan in reference to you, what would he say about us? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Haven't you sheltered him? Haven't you blessed him? Haven't you increased him? Verse 11, But put forth now thy hand, thy hand now, and Touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we know the number of scriptures we can continue to read. I do want us to drop to verse 15. Notice it was not God that did these things. Satan said, God, you do it. And God said, mm-mm. He is at your disposal. I'm, I'm going to allow you in order to prove my servant. Verse number 15, the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the, saint, uh, the servants, even with the edge of the sword. And I alone am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 16, 17, and 18 all start with the same phrase. While he yet was speaking. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven 
and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them all, all, and I alone am escaped. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, boy, what a lineup this is. There came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain all the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped. And while he was yet speaking, can I ask you this? Have you ever had one of those days? I don't think you've had a day quite like this, but we've had those days. And while he was yet speaking, another came and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they're dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee. What a day. While he was yet speaking. Now verse number 20. The response. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down to the ground. Those of you who may have been at the funeral or the viewing this week. Margaret had a set of flowers delivered. They were there at the head of the casket in the shape of a flower. And through the white heart, there was a red line of flowers coming like this. And she was telling me yesterday, she said, that signifies a broken heart. I got there yesterday. It was the first one in the room where she was. She was having a harder time than she had had so far. I sat down next to her, put my arm up around her. And she said, this is hard because today makes it permanent. And I notice... Job rose up and he did what was natural. He rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down upon the earth. He is grieving. But notice his spiritual response. And worshipped. He didn't blame. He didn't question. He worshipped. Verse 21, and he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave... The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So I want us for a while today, I want us to look into this thought of our spiritual reaction when difficult times come. And I have a few things that If you jot down, hopefully, when that time comes, God will draw these to mind and help strengthen us. Pray with us, please. Father, now we enter the time with your word. Make it a profitable, beneficial time. Please forgive me and empty me of self. Make me a usable vessel to deliver your word. And may it be received as it is being delivered, not as my word, But the living word of God, help us to be mindful of our reactions in a spiritual way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, if you would, please. Before you stop, before you do the wrong thing, stop. Before you make the wrong decision, stop. Before you say the wrong thing, before you consider the wrong thing, stop and remember Job. 
I've never, I, I have had some bad days of life. I've had news delivered that immediately took me to my knees. I have news delivered that has made me instantly physically sick. I've had people deliver the message of loss of folks. There have been times of struggle and difficulty. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I was prepared with the right first response spiritually. In my own life, I know that there have been times when things that have happened in my first initial response has been, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't get this. When I evaluate what your word is and what your promise said, I don't see how this fits into place. And if you've just lost every material possession that you own, I think you would be to that place. But then on top of it, every child of yours, and we know that these are adult children, but ten children, and in the lineup of people delivering the news, if it's not bad enough that the herds are gone, and if it's not bad enough that he's an older man, and he's looking at the end of life, and suddenly all the substance is gone, and what am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to make it through all of this? Then the last person that shows up, oh, your children were all in one of your children's house. And the four corners, we think it probably to be something, if you were explaining it naturally, like a tornado. However, we know everything that happened was under the hand of Satan. Because Satan had come to God. And God in His glory, because as we spoke on Wednesday night, we are God's glory. And when He looks at us, He takes pride in us. He is glorified or should be glorified through our lives. And God says to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Joe? Don't you know God had a righteous pride? Perfect. Feareth God, escheweth evil, runs from evil. Just look at him. And basically the essence of what Satan says is yes, but he's your favored. Yes, but you've sheltered him here. And yes, you've blessed him and you've increased him. And if you did all that for me, I'd do that to you. So before... We do the wrong thing. I want us to consider some thoughts in looking at Job and some truths that he, he could have thought and you and I could think. And there's about eight or nine of these that we'll go through this morning. The first thing that I want you to remember when there is, it's that moment of spiritual reaction. Number one, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. I may wonder where He is. And you may think, have I run from God? He's right there. He knows exactly where you are. In the day that this was happening to Job, God knew it. And God was there. 
He was at the hand of Satan. God speaks. God identifies Satan. Notice he even calls him by name. As those that God had created, this was a day of accountability. Well, why would Satan come before God on a day of accountability? Listen, there was a time when Satan was perfect. There was a time when he was the cherub that covered the ark of God, the closeness of God, an angel that among angels was in a place that he was put and placed in leadership. But it was in those times in Ezekiel chapter 28 we're introduced to him. It says, Thou art the cherub that covereth, the anointed one that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways. He was like Job was. He said, Then in thy heart thou wast lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. He says in verse 18, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries. And God makes a promise to Satan, and he says, I'll bring you to ashes. Why, Why was Satan in such a place? In verse number 19, and then into the next chapter, it says, Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God, you're trying to take the place of God. Behold, thou wast wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that thou can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thy understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thy heart as the heart of God. And then he goes on to explain to Satan his future. And that angers Satan. The reality is that this day in Job's life, God was right there. God had not forgotten. I'm not asking you to visibly or vocally say anything this morning, but has there been a time, one of those days in your life when you thought God has forgotten you? If you do say that, you're in good company. There was a day when Abraham and Sarah said, God has forgotten. There was a day in which Moses said, God has forgotten. There were a day in the life of the three Hebrews where I'm sure they thought God has forgotten. And I wonder if Esther would not be listed in this list and Elijah and Israel as they faced the Red Sea. And the widow as she's standing next to the bed that holds her dead son after all the things that God had promised. The disciples on the sea in the storm. Those grieving at the foot of the cross. All of those may have very well been in that list. But God says this, wait. It's a long way from chapter 1 of Job to chapter 42. But here's what God says to those of us who feel sometimes like God has forgotten us. Just wait. Just wait. Elijah, you're depressed and discouraged and you think you're alone. Just wait a minute. I've got something I'm going to show you. Abraham and Sarah, you think you're too old? I've waited to this point in you. Be still and know that I'm God. Let me show you I am here. 
And when it is beyond your capacity, and that's where Abraham and Sarah were, when it's beyond your capacity, beyond your ability, beyond your understanding, I'm going to show you something. Number one, God has not forgotten you. Number two, God works in silence. God works in silence. Sometimes you're at a loss for those words. He's working on men oftentimes when they doubted him the most. I want you to think about these for a moment. Joseph sat in a jail cell. And he had done absolutely nothing wrong. Now most of the people in jail say they haven't done anything wrong. But Joseph was sincere. And Joseph sat in a cell waiting, not knowing what God was doing or why God was doing it. Ripped apart from his family. Nothing that he had ever known or been taught or had in his life is at his disposal at this moment. But God is working. Well, we could even look at Jonah, and that's sort of humorous this morning. Where is Jonah waiting? He's in the belly of a fish. That's a different cell, isn't it? And while he's in the belly of the fish crying out for God, God's working in silence. God's not speaking to Jonah. He already did that. At this moment, if you read in your Scripture... It said this, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Jonah didn't hear it when the Lord spoke to the fish. But God was working in the silence. John the Baptist was brought to the guillotine. And God worked in silence. And Elijah was at the moment of exhaustion. And didn't understand, but God was working in the silence. And David was in a cave hiding. And in his natural reaction and natural mind, don't you wonder if David was saying, I remember that day when Samuel came to the house. And he anointed me king. And God said I was going to be the king. And here I am in this cave. But God was working in the silence. And Paul in prison. And even in the silence of Christ too. Just because you're not hearing the voice of God. Do not mean God is not working. God has not forgotten you. God works in the silence. Psalm 46 and verse 10 says this. Be still. And know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth fear not we'll look at that a little bit later on fear not God said to Israel and then he told them this stand still they hear the wheels of the chariots they hear the voices of the Egyptian soldiers and the natural instinct is to do something Not stand still. 
They looked to one side and there was a mountain and another side in the desert. And behind them, the Egyptian soldiers and Pharaoh. And before them, a Red Sea. And God speaks finally and says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Number three, God brings blessings from bewilderment. One was that God has not forgotten us. God speaks or works in silence. God brings blessing from bewilderment. When we refuse to let go of Him, no matter how hopeless we may feel, that expresses a kind of faith that He always blesses. Would you notice again, you have your place there. Look at verse 21 again. And Job speaking said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, I would hope and I would pray that if I had this day, I would hope and pray and beg God, God help me to have the right reaction. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Your thorn is a blessing. And God will someday use it in ways that you cannot imagine. May we revert back to Sarah for a few moments. Barren, considered by many insufficient, a failure, no use. And God was silent for 25 years from the time He promised till the time He spoke again. And then suddenly, without warning, God speaks. And God takes her bewilderment and turns it into a blessing. Moses, as he instructs the nation of Israel to stand still and see what God was going to do, in one moment of time, God is going to turn the bewilderment to blessing. He's going to change nature for them. And the water is going to wall up. And the Bible says they passed over on dry ground. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't happen by man's way. But God said this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't move around. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Stand still. In the bewilderment. And see the salvation of the Lord. Number four. God is using even your bewilderment. In ways that you cannot yet know. He's using your bewilderment. In ways that you cannot know. Someday you'll look back. And you'll, you'll feel. You'll look back at how you feel right now. And you will thank God that he did what he did. God is using even bewilderment in ways that you 
you cannot imagine. He will teach us something. He will somehow make it worthwhile. But preacher, I've got to know why, or I've got to know how he's going to, I've got to know when he's going to do that. That's all up to him. Well, can't you tell me how God is going to use my bewilderment in ways that I don't? I, I don't know that. I'm not God. But I want you to imagine the moment later of Job's blessings. In chapter 42, we'll get there a little bit later on. In Job chapter 42, God opened the windows of blessing to Job. But before we get there, I want to remind you. Can you, can you fathom what those three friends that came to encourage him in his bad days? And do you remember what their encouragement ended up being? Blaming him. This is your fault, Job. Can you imagine them seeing what happens in chapter 42? Or let's get even closer to home. Job, just curse God and die. Job, give up. Can you imagine Mrs. Job in chapter 42 where Job has proven himself faithful? When he looked at all of those involved in his life, and I see him pointing his finger at him and saying, Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. And in Job 42, God opens the windows of heaven and restores double everything that Job had. He couldn't know it. He could not know that his bewilderment is going to move things and change things in ways that he could not know. In Job chapter 42, in verse number 2, he says this, I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought is withholden from thee. That's before the blessing. That's easy to say after the blessing. That's hard to say in the bewilderment. These are some of the last recorded words of Job before God's grace and mercy and abundance poured out on him. He said, I know that thou canst do everything. Number four, God is using even your bewilderment in ways that you cannot know yet. Number five, God strengthens us through times of testing. Future blessings require you and I to have broader shoulders. And can I ask you this? How do you get broader shoulders? In a physical sense, exercise. Broad shoulders comes from exercise which builds them. If you want broader shoulders, you exercise them. But you have to be willing to go through the painful process of that exercise. I step through occasionally at Sheltering Arms Rehabilitation Center. I've sat there with numbers of our people who have been there for therapy and I've sat at tables with folks that have had strokes. And they're in wheelchairs and their arms are up on top and the therapist is working with the arms. And I have seen the tears roll down people's cheeks 
as they've said to the therapist, it hurts, it hurts, it is so bad, I can't take this. And the therapist has said, just a few minutes more and you can go take a nap. I, at Sheltering Arms, if you didn't know this, you have to be willing and able, capable of three hours of hard therapy a day. If you want to get well, if you want to recover from a neurologic thing or a stroke or something like that, and you're willing to recover and you want to recover, go to Sheltering Arms. But if you don't want it, you better not go there. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. And oftentimes, God strengthens us through these days. And He strengthens us through that exercise. God may be, He may be exercising your faith in order to strengthen you for what He has planned for you. Number six. God blesses us on the other side of the testing. God blesses us on the other side of the testing. It's what God does. He rewards faith. Let me tell you this. There would be 41 chapters in Job. If Job in the beginning had said, Well, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is, this is uncalled for. I have been faithful to you. I've trusted you. I've been loyal to you. And look what you have allowed to happen to me. Forget it. If Job had treated God in such fashion, there wouldn't be chapter 42. Because God blesses us on the other side of the testing. Chapter 42 and verse 11, I've mentioned 42 a lot. He honors them who honor Him. The beautiful story that as Job's friends see what has happened to him, God didn't just say, okay, bloop, here it is. God didn't just bring him double the camels, double the sheep. They didn't come lining up at the gate. Get this, it'll be valuable People are watching you when you go through testing. People are watching you in that day. Remember in Job chapter 1, in that day? People are watching you in that day. The story is here. People were watching Job. They had seen him. They would watched him. They would listened to him. Chapter 42 verse 11 says that they came and they brought gifts. It wasn't just God opening it up and suddenly Job opened his eyes and Christmas was here. But people who had been watching him in the hardest days of his life and said, look at that faithful man. And they came. And they brought gifts. And verse number 12 says, So the Lord blessed the latter end more than the beginning. And in Job, in the worst days of his life, remained a testimony of God. When his friends and neighbors and those around him looked at what all had happened to him, and he didn't curse God, and he didn't question God, and he didn't abandon God, they said this, there's something to it. 
There's something real about this. And yes, they had pity on him, but they had concern for him, and they brought gifts, and God used their gifts. I say that to tell us this. In our day, in that day for you and I, somebody's watching. And whether you're real, whether you're genuine, whether it's faith or foolishness to you, is going to be a testimony to them. It's going to be a witness to them to see how you respond, how you react. In the difficult day. God blesses us on the other side of the testing. Number seven. God is going to give you the grace that you need. God is going to give you the grace that you need. Listen, I'm a I'm physical man. As a preacher, as a pastor, I have stood with people who were bearing their children. I can't tell you the times that I have heard this statement from the mouths of the parents. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to happen like this. It, it was supposed to be me first. And so as a person, as a preacher, I try to put myself in Job's place. How would you feel? But here's what I find. God gave the grace that was needed. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is speaking. Paul is the epitome of a Christian. Probably the strongest Christian and most famed Christian of any day. And we know that that day came to Paul many times. But we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And he didn't want it. But he also acknowledged where it came from. It came from the same place that Job's did. There was a messenger sent to me of Satan. Second Corinthians in chapter number 12, verse number 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelation, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might, not, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, what's God going to say? He said unto me, my grace is sufficient. When is God's grace sufficient? I want to tell you this. God's grace is sufficient Sunday. But it goes beyond that. God's grace is sufficient on Monday. And you'll pillow your head tomorrow night. And all of God's grace will have been sufficient for the day. And you'll rise on Tuesday morning and guess what? You're going to find... His grace is sufficient. Dave's here with us this morning. I've prayed. I have prayed for the last several weeks, in particular the last two weeks, as David is, Dave has felt poorly, been in the hospital. God, would you show to Dave your sufficient grace? Bill Gooding's been in the hospital nine weeks, found out that last week he's got two more months in the hospital. 
Can I tell you what he needs? Sufficient grace. Can I tell you what God's going to give him? Sufficient grace. Listen, if Bill doesn't find sufficient grace, God's a liar. Because God's promise to us is that He will give us sufficient grace. And Paul's claim, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When Paul saw how weak and frail and insignificant he was, he became stronger. Because his strength was not in himself, his strength was in God. Then he said this, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in, in, in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest on me. So when you feel overwhelmed, I want to ask you where, where this finds you today. Don't, you don't need to respond to me. Have you been there? Have you found yourself? Can you associate with what's going on with Job? In that day, stop and think this. I'm alive. Somebody asked me something this week and I responded by saying it had to do with somebody dying. I said, well, it's better than the alternative. Then I thought, wait, my alternative is better. (laughs) You're alive. If you have asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins and follow through the gospel and You have placed your faith and trust in Him. You're alive and you're saved. And you're able to praise the Lord for that. And you're able to cry out. And you have hope. Right now, if you're experiencing those things. And again, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gave. The Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Number eight. God is with you whether you sense it or not. He is, God is a person. Do you realize that? He's a person. You know, how, you know how man lives? Many times we live as if God is an emotion. God's not an emotion. He's a person. And a lot of people are looking for the presence of God in an emotional experience. And I could load our buses up today and take you through our city to a number of churches who would provide for you an emotional experience without pointing you to the person of God. He is truth. We have to accept this too because we live in a day that really doesn't believe in it. He is truth. He is absolute. And when you combine those two, absolute truth, men don't like absolute He is absolute. He is truth. He is with us right now. He is with us always. That's why he said this. Be still and know that I'm God. And when I hit that day in my life, I just tell you, when I hit that day in my life, there have been a lot of those days in which I I couldn't stand still, naturally. i got to do something. I've got to handle this. How can I change it? How can I do away with it? How can I do this? How can I? And, and he just says, be still. Shh. 
Let me do what I do because I am. God is with you whether you sense it or whether you don't. Number nine, God rejoices over you and he is not angry with you. Out of all that happened to Job, God was not angry with him. God was taking joy in him. And as we read from Ephesians on Wednesday night, we are his workmanship. And we're created in Christ Jesus into good works. We're his workmanship, his glory, his joy, his thrill, his pleasure. And can't you just get a vision of God when he said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Look at him. My mind goes back to some track events in the last 25 or 30 years and standing near the fence of young people who were involved in their race. I'd like to know how many parents I have heard scream out these words. That's my boy. That's my girl. And they stand there and take pride. And in that day, God is not angry. God is rejoicing. If you're in Christ, you're in His grace and you are complete. Number 10. God will get you through. God will get you through. When isn't the issue. And how isn't the issue. He will. Job chapter 23. And in this, verse number 10 is sort of a life verse for me. A favored verse. But I want you to listen to what Job said. Job chapter 23, and let's begin in verse number 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right. That I can't see him. But he knoweth the way that I should take. And when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now that promise is not a vain promise. It has some stipulation to it. And he followed the stipulation. Verse number 11. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And though he slay me, Job said, yet will I trust him 
I will maintain my own ways before Him. He is also my salvation. Behold, I have ordered my cause. And I know, listen to what Job says, I know that I shall be justified. Let's have our heads bowed, our eyes closed this morning. What are our spiritual reactions? What is our first spiritual reaction in that day? We have to remember that emotions are liars. We have to hold on to the truth.